right, good morning. morning. Happy Mother's Day to you all, especially all you moms out there. It's a great day. I love Mother's Day. I love my mom. She is an amazing woman of God, and I'm so thankful for her and thankful for many of you that are role models for how to how to parent. And so we, we look to all of you and thank you for being good moms. You know, today, Francis alluded to this, I think um, also be mindful of those who have lost their moms. And uh, we're thinking of you and praying for you. I know today is a hard day in a lot of ways for those of you who have lost your moms. And let today be a good memory of them, like Francis said. But also those moms who have not been able to have children. I think a lot of times that um, we forget about those who have lost children or not been able to have children. So even today, we thank you um, because you are an example to us. And as someone who has uh, lost children before, um, it, is, it is healing to know that, that there are moms who, and others who are good examples and, and pray for those who have, who have lost children or not been able to have children. So we're thinking of you today, um, but again, happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here today. It is good, as Francis said, to see people back at church and uh, see you sitting here is, is a blessing to all of us. And those of you who are online, we're glad to have you as well. So I have the privilege this morning of preaching uh, the Lord's Word, and so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read um, the passage this morning. We're in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. So read along with me if you have your Bibles, verses 38 through 42 of chapter 5. It says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word today. Lord Jesus, this is your sermon. You first preached this. This is your ideas. This is your words. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that your sermon is one that's heard today and not mine. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And Father, may, may our people hear the word of Jesus this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you guide us as we study your word and lead us into all truth. And it's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Today we're continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in this portion, Jesus is, uh, we're on number five of these six things, these six traits, these six qualities that Jesus is preaching about those who belong to his kingdom. Really what he's doing is he's contrasting the things that the Pharisees have taught and the things that are true of his kingdom. So you'll see these phrases, these six things, usually start of, you've heard it was said, but I say to you. Okay, so there's these six things. We're on number five of these statements that Jesus is teaching on. And um, I want to remind you that what's happening in this portion of of the Sermon on the Mount is that um, Jesus is, is... taking on the, 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 the teaching of the Pharisees and scribes who are basically relaxing the law. Um, and, and so what they're doing, they were relaxing it or they were abusing the law that was there. So Jesus is not coming along and changing anything. He's actually just revealing the true heart behind it because they've been taught wrong. And so these laws have been relaxed. And so he gives these illustrations and these ideas of what the true law means. And he's Fighting against legalism is what the Pharisees were doing. You do these things, then God will be pleased with you. Instead, Jesus comes along and said, here's what the traits, here's what the marks of a believer are. Here's what the true 
people look like who are part of my kingdom. So again, don't hear these things as things you got to start doing. Don't, don't make this a list of things that you got to start doing better at, because that's not, you're not going to be able to do it, especially today. On this particular text, this is, this is a very difficult one to do. You cannot do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to do this, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This is something, this is a mark of a believer, the mark that someone has been saved, the mark of the Spirit within us, is that we are no longer people of retaliation. We are people of grace. We are people of mercy because Christ has changed us. And so before we get into these things that are are the traits, the marks of the believer when it comes to retaliation, I do feel like we need to stop and begin with what this text is not saying. Okay, So we're going to start with what this text is not saying and then get into what it is saying because here's the deal. Many scholars actually say that this, this passage is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all the Bible, but especially on the Sermon on the Mount. People take this and they misunderstand it and misapply it, and they miss the heart of what Jesus is trying to say, and that can be very dangerous. So I want to start with that, and, and let's look at what this text is not saying. Because what we can do is we can take this and say, well, um, what about when dot, dot, dot? And we, we try and think of scenarios Instead of just listening to the heart of what's here, okay? So let's, let's look at one of these, okay? What this text is not saying. This text is not about abuse or bullying. That's not what this text is about. See, people will take this idea, they take this verse that says, do not resist the one who is evil and turn the other cheek as verses that teach us that we are to remain in an abusive relationship and or if your child is being bullied, that we're supposed to teach our children to let them bully you and turn the other cheek. That's not the passage. That's not what Jesus is, has in mind here. Okay? I want to be very, very clear about that. Because people teach that. And people teach that if you are in an abusive relationship, that you are to just take it. And that is not the heart of this passage. In fact, that's not at all what he's saying. In fact, if you, if you are being bullied or if you are being abused, Jesus is not giving allowance to the abuse, and neither is he telling you to remain. Okay, I'm going to be very clear about that. There are plenty of examples. We don't have time today in this sermon, but there are plenty of examples of Scripture where you see Jesus actually standing up to the bullies. You see Jesus actually entering into those who are being abused and being on their behalf and standing up for them. So this, don't take this text and apply it to a situation that you're in where that's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? So this is not about you taking willingly, just letting somebody step all over you to take on physical harm, because that's what Jesus says you're to do. That's not what this text is about, okay? So that's one thing. Another one is this. This text is not about Jesus commanding his followers to give endless amounts of money or possession to everyone who possibly might ask them, okay? People look at this verse Here, verse 42, it says, give to the one who begs from you. And they take that literally to mean that you have to give away everything you have to anyone who asks, no matter what, because you are obeying the Sermon on the Mount. But that's not what this text is teaching either, okay? So don't don't go there as well, because here's the deal. Uh, This verse in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, He who does not provide for his family has denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let me, here's a scenario. If we think that we're supposed to give away everything we have to anyone who possibly might ask, how can I take care of Kingston and Ruby? And then I'm disobeying this portion of scripture. So is this contradictory? What is 
being said here? How am I supposed to take care of my own family if I'm just giving away everything to anybody who might ask it? Sure, here you go. You want something? Here you go. I'm going to have nothing left to give. That's not what this text is saying. Okay? Jesus is not saying that you should endless amount, just give everything away. But I do think he's saying that you've got to be willing to. But he does not command you to do that. Okay? What he is saying here is teaching us what our heart should be toward other people. Okay? Not commanding us to give away endless amounts of money to everyone who might ask. Okay? So don't, don't read into that that you've got to go home and you've got to sell everything or Jesus is really mad at you. That's not what this text is saying. Here's another one this text is not speaking of. This text is not speaking out against military or policing. Okay? Some people have, there are actually entire people groups, even Christian denominations, who take this passage that says, do not resist the evil one, as a proof text that there should be no national military or no police. And I know that's a hot topic right now. But people are using this passage to teach this. That's not what, Jesus is not having in mind how to set up a government. That's not his purpose in this passage. Here's how you set up a national government. Turn the other cheek. Don't resist the evil one. Let them do whatever they want. That's not what's being taught here. Okay? But do you see how our minds can take this passage and miss the complete heart of it because we try and find scenarios where this might work? That is not what Jesus is trying to get here. What Jesus is saying, so that's what he is not saying. What Jesus is saying is that he's speaking of our hearts. Our hearts are the thing that Jesus is after most. He's after our hearts. And retaliation, this idea of getting even, is a symptom of the fall. It's an effect of the fall. Because of the fall of man, you and I have a heart of retaliation. It feels good, doesn't it, to get somebody back when they've wronged you? It feels really good. You know what that is, that feeling? That's sin. That's the natural man. And because of our sin, our first instincts are to retaliate or seek revenge. The problem with retaliation is that it's never-ending, right? It's a never-ending cycle. Because guess what? You have the heart of revenge, and so does the person you're wanting to have revenge on. And so if you have retaliation towards them, what do you think they're going to do? Retaliate towards you. And since you have that heart of retaliation, what are you going to do? You're going to retaliate towards them. And since they have that heart of retaliation, what are they going to do? They're going to retaliate towards you. It's a never-ending cycle, and it's never even, is it? It's always just a little bit more. A little bit more pain than what they inflicted on me. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is that those in his kingdom are supposed to be different. We had this natural retaliation in our hearts, but he has changed us. And so the traits of those who are in his kingdom should not be that natural man anymore. It should be different. And he's telling us this is how you end the cycle, the endless cycle of retaliation in our relationships. That's what Jesus is getting at here. So don't let this text take you into some scenario where it's not meant to go. Okay? So let's dig into it, all right? Look at verse 38. First point is this. You have heard it was said. Okay. So let's stop there. Verse 38. You have heard it was said. And then he quotes this, this thing that was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 21 as well as Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy 19. This is one of the laws. Just listen to the law in Leviticus 24. I think it will be up here on the screen. Listen, listen to this. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, 
As he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So when Jesus says, you have heard it was said, this is what he's referring to. This is part of the law. This was given to the people of God um, as, as law, all right? And again, there's so many people who take this passage, this idea of an eye for an eye and two for tooth as a, an example of, wow, your God is really bloodthirsty. Talk about retaliation. Your God, man, he really just wants to pay back evil for evil. I don't like that about him, right? But, but what I want to say, show you is that the reality of this text is it's not fostering vengeance. This law was not to foster vengeance. In fact, if you look at chapter 19 of Leviticus, God forbade his people from having any kind of vengeance to the point where he says, you're to turn your enemy into your neighbor, okay? So these, this is not a contradictory text. What God is doing is God knows the heart of man. God knows our hearts, and he knows that because of the fall, our tendency is to go to retaliation. That's the way we operate because of sin. And so God knows this, and so he puts this law into place because we have a tendency to retaliate more than what was taken from us. And so God sets this law up as actually parameters, to keep it contained. Because without this law, it would just be this law of society, people taking, taking uh, vengeance into their own hands. Just like we've stated. You know that it's true. That if somebody harms you, you harm them just a little bit more or a different way. And the cycle gets worse and worse and worse before people are destroyed, right? So God actually, this is not God being bloodthirsty. This is God being merciful. This is God being gracious. This is God saying, I know the heart of man. I'm going to put these parameters on them so that this vengeance of man and retaliation stops spinning out of control. And so he sets this up that the intent was to take the man's tendency to take the law into his own hands and do anything he likes in revenge. It restricted the cycle of retaliation to an equal degree. It's an eye for an eye. Exactly the same. A tooth for a tooth. But what we tend to do is two eyes for one eye. Um, cutting off your head for a tooth, right? That's what we do. That's retaliation. God says, no, we're going to end that. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is what God is setting up. He's setting up these parameters because he knows our hearts. So they've heard it was said, this law was set up by God, but I want, I want you to hear this as well. This was set up for judges. The people of Israel had judges, and these people watched over the nation of Israel. These were meant for judges, not for individual um, responsibility, okay? Um, and that's one thing. We're going to get to that in just a second. The second is, is that he, he does this to stop the cycle of retaliation, to limit punishment, okay? So that was the law that was set up. Let's go to the next point. And this isn't necessarily in the passage here, but Jesus alludes to it. You have heard that it was said. I want to look at what they say to you. But when I mean they... I mean the people that were teaching this. Because he alludes to that, hey, you've, you've heard incorrectly. You've, you've been taught these things. You've heard it was said. But something is being off. They have relaxed this law in some way, the people who are teaching it. And I want to look at what they had been teaching them. So there's this law. It's perfect. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But what, what's the problem with that is that the teachers have been teaching them incorrectly. So here's what they had heard. Here's what the people were being taught. They were being taught that this text can be handled personally. So they were taking this text that was meant to be for the people of God, for a judge to say, okay, this happened over here, this exact thing must happen over here. 
for a judge to do that. Instead, the scribes and Pharisees were saying, now you can take care of this on your own. You don't need the judges. See, we have, we have Leviticus that tells us to do this. So you, here's what you can do. You can go do this. So they were making it into something that these people could take into their, uh, their hands personally. And so their idea was they were using Scripture to teach the individual has a right to get even. There's an old saying that I always remember, I don't get mad, I get even. I'm sure you've heard that. And people use that, use this scripture as saying, see, God actually endorses this. I'm not, I'm not going to do more than what they say, but I'm just going to take an eye for an eye. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wait on the judges to decide this. I'm, I'm going to take care of this myself, but I'm only going to do it as much as God says I can. I'm not going to go above that. I would never do that. I'm different. I'm a believer. But I am going to, according to the word of the Lord, get even. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching that they have the ability to do. The second thing that they were being taught with this was that an eye for an eye isn't a suggestion, but it is a command. So it's not something as last resort. It's actually something you should do very quickly. So the scribes and Pharisees were teaching that um, this law meant to curb the cycle of retaliation had become not only a right, but a duty to get even. Listen, if you've been wrong, God wants you to go deal with them personally. So go and deal with it. Okay? So this was what they were teaching. This is what the scribes and Pharisees were teaching these people. So Jesus comes along and says, you have heard it was said eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. The law in and of itself was good. It had parameters, but they had misapplied it. They had taught it incorrectly. They had relaxed it to where something where you should want to. You should want to get even. And you should uh, do this personally and quickly. Jesus comes along and says, but I say to you. But I say to you. So let's, let's reveal what Jesus says. You've been taught this, but I say to you something different. See, the natural reaction, the natural man's reaction to being insulted or slapped on the cheek, what is the natural man's response? To return insult and to cause harm, right? The natural man's reaction to being sued for one thing is to fight for what's yours and demand it back. See, the natural man's reaction to walking one mile is to do what is demanded and not an inch more. The natural reaction, the natural man's reaction to those who beg, those who are in need, is to ignore and keep what is yours. That's the natural man. Jesus then comes and describes something totally different. He says, this is what kingdom people should look like. This is what kingdom people should look like. There should be a difference. There should be a, a contrast. And what he's going to do is he's going to list four examples. He just picks four examples to, to drive this home to the people. So let's look at four examples that he, Jesus gives. First example is found there in verse 39. Look at it. It says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Remember, this is not... A text about abuse or bullying, this is not the context. Rather, Jesus is speaking about the natural heart of man. The natural heart, like I just said, is one that when you are hit or when you are slapped, and the idea is not just a physical thing, but uh, if you were slapped, if you were facing somebody on the right side, the right cheek would mean a backhanded thing, right? Especially if someone was right-handed. To get hit on the right cheek, your adversary would have to be backhanded slapped. So it's, in, it's insinuating this idea of not just a physical harm, but also someone who might insult you. So it's not limited to just physical. In fact, in Jewish culture, to be slapped on the right cheek was, was more harmful than a physical attack. 
because their culture is built on, on honor. And so to strike somebody on the body might cause more physical pain and physical harm, but a slap on the face was much more damaging and insulting in their culture. Ancient historians have actually pointed out that, that even a slave would rather have been struck across the back with a whip than be slapped in the face by his master's hand. So, so to be backhanded slapped carries the idea of this insult. And so the idea is Jesus saying here, the believer, when he is physically harmed or when he is insulted, the natural man responds in, in like manner, or if not, more. But the believer is to restrain himself in physical and insulting attacks. This is what the, the idea of a, uh, Jesus gives of the believer, where the Pharisees taught an eye for an eye, a slap for a slap. Jesus says those in his kingdom break the cycle of retaliation by not returning the insult. This is a mark of a believer. And there's no greater example of this than Jesus himself. Do we not see this in Jesus? Listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. It says this, Christ left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus never asked anything of you and I that he is not willing to do himself. He was our perfect example. So, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. And he's saying, you are my children. You are followers of mine. Be like me. So when we are insulted, those in the kingdom, we do not, we restrain ourselves and we do not retaliate in in the same manner. So that's one example he gives. He gives another example here. Look at it in verse 40. It says, and if somebody would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I want you to look closely at this one because people use this also in in, in a wrong manner. Here's the example. When you're in the wrong, how do you respond when you're in the wrong? This is not somebody who, this example, is not somebody who comes along and steals or robs you. That's not the context. That's not what he says. Look at it again. If anyone would sue you, what that means is you've done something to somebody else. And when they maybe rightfully so, come along and, and have litigation against you, that's, that's the context. It's not this idea of somebody comes along and they break in your house and you're supposed to, uh, they, they, they want your goods, you're supposed to give them all your goods. Not fight them off. This is, this is, this is what, this, this is not the context. You're not getting robbed or stolen from here. This is the idea that you have been in the wrong. You have wronged somebody and there's a legitimate claim against you. In ancient times when somebody didn't have much money, which most people did not in their day, especially with Roman occupation, they would, they would often sue you for your clothes. You didn't have anything but the clothes that were on your back. And so in this context, that's what's happening is that you have wronged somebody to the point where they take you to court and the only thing that they can sue you for is what you're wearing. Okay? And so it gives these two um, examples. They give you the, the, the tunic. Well, we don't really know what tunics are in our culture. What is a tunic? Well, a tunic is, was basically the long undergarments, kind of like their, basically like their T-shirt, okay, and their undergarment. That was, that's the thing. He says when you, when you go to court and they, law, uh, they sue you for your tunic. But then it says give him your coat as well. The coat was, or a cloak was this outer garment, and it was considered more valuable. It was uh, not only used as a coat, but it also was used for, for their beds. It was, it was their covers 
at night. Especially if you were a shepherd or someone who slept outside, your coat was everything to you. It's the idea of security, and that's what the coat, in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 22, you should go look this up um, later on, verse 25 through 27, the law actually states that you cannot take a coat from a man, that you can sue somebody for the tunic, but you cannot sue them for their cloak because it is their security, and it says that if that security is taken away, the Lord will hear the cry of the poor and take care of them. That, it's the idea of, God says, you, you can sue for this, but you cannot sue for their coat. That is their security. That is their bedding. That is their blanket. You can't take that from him. But Jesus comes along here and says, hey, when somebody sues you for your tunic because you've done wrong, give them the thing that they can't go for. That, that's the idea here. So the context is somebody has a legitimate argument against you. You've wronged them, and they're suing you for your shirt. And Jesus says, don't only give them your shirt, but your coat, your security, your everything as well. In other words, when you've wronged somebody else and they have a legitimate claim against you, the people of the kingdom of God are to be so broken over the fact that you have harmed somebody else, so broken that you have sinned against another person, that it moves you to go above and beyond what is demanded of you to make it right. That's the heart that Jesus says. When we have wronged other people, have you wronged somebody before? We continue to be sinful, right? We continue to harm others. It's the idea of we recognize that we have harmed somebody else, we have hurt somebody else, and we're so moved and broken over our sin that we're willing to go above and beyond whatever it is to make it right. That's, that's the idea of someone who lives in part of the kingdom. I love this translation, Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse in the message. Here's the way he writes this passage. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. I love that. That's what Jesus is saying someone in the kingdom looks like. Here's example number three. When your rights are taken away. When your rights are taken away. How do we respond when our rights are taken away? Look at verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. The original hearers at this point would have grumbled when they heard this. This point. Because this, this made sense to them. Because the Roman law, those who were occupying the Jews at this time, they had an actual law that forced the Jewish people to carry their luggage, carry their swords, carry their equipment for one mile. And they had to do this under penalty of death. But they did not have to go an inch more than one mile. They were not required to do that. But they were required to carry one mile. I want you to get in the eye mindset of a Jewish person who is being occupied by this Roman Empire. And the purpose of this law was to bring shame, to bring shame to those, to remind everybody who's really in charge. And so they used this all the time. The Roman guards, the Roman soldiers would often just choose young men, women, whoever it is, to, hey, pick up my stuff, I'm kind of tired, carry it for me. And they had the backing of Rome, the emperor, to fulfill that. If they didn't, they were in big trouble. And so they use this quite often, okay? So I want you to think about the shame and the anger for that Jewish person to have to do this. Their rights are taken away, and they're forced to do this. Can you imagine on that road for one mile the shame and the anger that happens, okay? But Jesus comes along, and he says, in that context, when you are forced to go, one mile, go with them two. The limit was one mile. That was a requirement 
and the rights were taken away. See, the natural man, here's what they do. When they carry that luggage for that one mile, they're taking it, they're carrying it, and when they get to that mile two marker, they drop it right on that line, not an inch over this, because this, I don't have to do this. You're taking my rights away over here. And if it wasn't for this law, I'd take you on, buddy. Right? And this whole, maybe this whole way this Roman is just mocking the Jewish people, mocking them for their beliefs. Oh, really? Your God's in charge? Really? How's that look right now? Mocking them, mocking them. So that person cannot wait to have to get rid of their stuff. But Jesus says not. What if instead, what if instead that mile marker He's expected to drop that luggage, expected to drop that sword. The very equipment that they use to oppress you, followers of my kingdom, I want you to take a step into that second mile. Something happens in this amount of time. Something happens because right over here, it's a demand. The relationship is as, as an enemy, an oppressor to those who are oppressed. But the moment, the moment that that one who is oppressed, the one whose rights are taken away, humbles themselves and takes a step into that second mile, the relationship changes in one step. It goes from an obligation to a changed relationship. Here's just what happens when, when that boy says, you know, I'll, I'll go a second mile. He says, you scum, you don't have to do that. Put it down, put my stuff down. No, I want to carry it on. I'll go a second mile. I kind of enjoyed the conversation. Okay, well, yeah, uh, yeah, do what you want, buddy. But over this walk, a relationship changes in the mind of that soldier, does it not? But this person is not doing what's only demanded of them, but they're going above and beyond what is demanded of them. That's the idea of what Jesus is saying. So when your rights are taken away, how do you respond? Do you humble yourself? Or do you say, you know what, I'm done with this. I've done what is demanded of me, and I'm, I'm done with it. Or is your heart more like what Jesus says, taking that step into the second mile? Relinquishing your rights. This is what Jesus says. And he gives another example here um, in verse 42. Example 4. Verse 42, read with me. He says, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So how do you respond when there is a need? How do you respond when there is a need? We're very protective of our, of our possessions, and, that, and that's legitimate, I think, because we, we work hard for these things. Um, many of us work day and night, and we provide for our families, and we uh, gain assets and all these things. They're, they're, they're important, and God has blessed us, especially in this nation, with possessions and, and the things that he, he, he gives us. But the natural response to those who are begging, the natural response that I think we tend to have towards those who are in need is something like, well, they must not be working hard. If they would only do dot, dot, dot. If they would be more like me, dot, dot, dot. There's a reason why they're in this predicament, and it's dot, dot, dot. This is how we, the natural man, tends to look at those who are poor, and how dare you ask of something that I've worked really hard for. Jesus comes along and says, stop acting that way. He said, be generous. See, the people of God recognize that all the possessions that we have are truly not ours anyways. 
that we are only stewards of what God has given us. But we tend to think that these are our things. And so we possess them when in reality we are just stewards of what God has given to us. Nothing truly belongs to us. So again, Jesus is not saying we're required to respond to every request that's made of us. Jesus didn't do this himself. So that's not what he's saying is that we just need to give to anybody who asks. Rather, what he's saying is that we, should be, we shouldn't be so quick to refuse the one who has a need. We are very quick at, at coming up with reasons why we shouldn't help somebody. We're very quick to do that. I think what he's saying here is slow down. Slow down. Don't be so quick to refuse the one who has a need. See, the natural man lectures the poor man. The follower of Jesus feeds the poor man. The natural man shames the poor man. The follower of Jesus shares with the poor man without demanding or expecting anything in return. So Jesus gives these these examples. It's not just retaliation. There's so much more. He's, He's basically saying, guys, there should be a difference in the way the natural man operates in this world and the way the kingdom people operate in this world. There should be a, a contrast. There should be something that, it's not, it's not a list of things to do, rather it's a description of what the believers to be marked by. People should be able to look at us and say, there's something different. Because all I see are people carrying what they are demanded of, but that guy, he, he went the second mile. Everybody I know, the natural, they just, they, they rebuke and shame the poor man, but, that, but not that guy. I just see him being so generous and caring for those who are in need. That guy at work, man, he, he is insulted behind his back and sometimes in front of his face. And I just noticed, if somebody did that to me, everybody would know about it. Believe me, I would take care of that. I would make sure it never happens again. But that guy, just, he just, he doesn't respond in a way that me and you probably would. It's just something, something's off about that guy. Something's different. That's the way Jesus is saying the kingdom people should be. It should be something that people see. The natural way of life is retaliation. And here's why. It's because retaliation, what's on the throne of your heart is self. That's what's on the throne of your heart. The heart of retaliation is that I am on the throne of my heart. And nobody messes with me. That's the issue here. That's why I said at the beginning, Jesus is after the heart. He's not after some symptoms of things we should do better. What he's after is a heart. And so the heart of retaliation is that you have the self on the throne of your heart. And Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of me, your, your heart has been replaced. He even calls it, you, it's so replaced that it's like you have to be born again. You not just need a new heart, you need a whole physical everything. That's how much has to change. And when you are a follower of Jesus, when you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been made new. You have a new heart, and no longer are you supposed to be on the, the throne of your heart. Jesus is, the heart, is, is on the throne of your heart, and it should be noticeable. So this is the way of the people of God. We turn away from the natural way of retaliation into a way of forgiveness and seeking the good of others. And this isn't just something that Jesus set up. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of the scriptures. It's the spirit of Abraham when he gave the best land to his nephew Lot, who didn't deserve it. Instead, he, took, he gave Lot the best land and took the lesser land for himself. It's the spirit of Joseph. Remember Joseph when he embraced and kissed his brothers who had, who had decades before sold him into slavery and terribly wronged him, yet he did not retaliate towards him. He 
took care of them. It's a spirit that would not let David take advantage of the opportunity multiple times to take the, law, the life of Saul, who himself was trying to kill David, yet he restrained himself. It's a spirit that led Elisha to feed the, the, the Syrian army that was up against him. It's a spirit that led Stephen to pray for those who were stoning him to death. It's an example of Jesus who opened not his mouth at his unlawful trial, and it's Jesus who prayed for his torturers from the cross, actually causing the centurion to see that and say, truly, this is the Son of God. It's also the heart of Jesus, the example of Jesus, that he did not replace his disciples when they disowned him. It's also the heart of Jesus when he did not forsake Peter who denied him three times. See, the example after example of people living out the alternative way of the kingdom. It's so opposite of the world that when lived out, it's the greatest evangelistic tool the church has. So here's the application. And we're going to sing a song here at the end. So invite the band to come up. Here's, here's the application. First off, for the believer, if you are a believer today, you are bought with the blood of Christ, here's, I think, our application today. And I just want this to be introspective for you. I'm going to ask you some questions. I just want you to answer in your own heart. How do you respond when you're insulted? How do you respond when you're insulted? Do you, do you run quick to retaliation? Or do you run so far away from retaliation, it looks like you're turning the other cheek? How do you respond when you're insulted? Number two, how do you respond when you're in the wrong? When you're the one who has done wrong to somebody else, are you quick to defend yourself? Or do you hate your sins so much that you've caused on somebody else that you go above and beyond what is demanded of you? Do you run after that person and seek forgiveness? What do you do? When you're wrong. Number three, how do you respond when your rights are taken away? How do you respond when your rights are infringed upon you? Are you defiant? Do you fight against the occupiers? Or are you one who walks the second mile? Number four is how do you treat the poor? How do you treat the poor? Are you generous or are you judgmental? See, ultimately it's this, as kingdom people, who is on the throne of your heart? If you answer a lot of the affirmative of the, when I'm insulted, I tend to retaliate. When I am in the wrong, I defend myself. When, when rights are taken away, I'm defiant, I fight against it. And to the poor, I am just judgmental. I would propose to you that today the problem is not the things that you've got to start doing better. The problem is that you have self on the throne right now. And so the, the response is that you repent and ask the Lord to change your heart. And we need that as believers. We need to be reminded because we slip back into sin, don't we? We slip back into that natural man, but we have been changed. So you have the Spirit living in you. So it's a prayer simply this today. Holy Spirit, would you help me? I have sinned. I repent of this. Lord, I know from your word that I have acted this way, and I have put self on the throne of my heart. So Lord Jesus, would you take me off that throne I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. Would you get back on the throne of my heart today? For an unbeliever, it's simple for you. You act this way because you are natural. You act this way because of the fall. You act this way because you are a sinner, just like all of us were. Just like all of us are. So you can't do these things. The reason why you retaliate, the reason why you, do, uh, you act this way towards the poor, the reason why you act this way is because you are a sinner. But there's good news today. Jesus paid for your sin 
and will change your heart today. You simply ask him. You simply respond to the grace he has given to you. And we'd love to share with you how to do that. I'm, I'll, I'll be down here in front. I know Pastor Francis is over here. We'd love to talk to you after the service about how you can respond and repent in your, of your sin and turn to Christ today. So let's pray together, and we're going to sing a song. Lord, thank you for your word today. Father, replace the self that so frequently steps back on the throne of my heart. And Father, I thank you for these examples that reveal to me, once again, how I tend to let you uh, tend to let self remain on that throne. Lord, would you open my eyes to my sin and, and I repent of the way I have acted. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning, same thing. And for those who, who you're calling today to, to turn to you and to give, uh, surrender their life to you, I pray for them this morning that they would respond. As we sing this song to you, Lord, may you be uh, honored and glorified in, in, in the remainder of this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.